0: Hello and welcome to Horror Comics Podcast, episode number four. Uh, the Horror Comics Podcast, or without the, I don't, I don't know, it's it's on the logo, because it's aesthetically pleasing on the logo, it looked a little weird without it, and the title of the podcast is just Horror Comics Podcast, uh, so, you know, it's up to you, but regardless of any of that, you're here, I'm here, I'm gonna have a little drink, and... We're going to talk about The Vault of Horror from EC Comics. Before I get into the history of EC Comics and some other little tidbits before digging into the story, there's a wonderful, not very long, but wonderful, it's an hour and eight, 19 minutes roughly on YouTube called The Artists of EC Comics and it's it gives you the breakdown of everything that went on with it and it's just, it's real interesting and uh, I I'm thought I knew a lot. Um, there's a lot more detail on these, the, the players here. Uh, if you listen to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, they have a multi-part history of that and it's, uh, it's real interesting, but it's all condensed down into this nice little documentary made by somebody, but I don't know if it's for sale anywhere. Um, I don't know if there's somebody you can support by buying it from somewhere, but I haven't seen it. All I saw was on YouTube and, uh, loved it. So go check that out. Um, If I can remember, I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes. EC Comics uh, was originally Educational Comics, and it was founded by Max Gaines. And they did Bible stories um, and exactly kind of what it sounds like. Uh, Educational stuff. Not super popular, but he actually passed away in 1947 in a boating accident. And therefore his son, William, or Bill... Um, was handed the company, and I'm condensing it here. He... I don't think they had a great... It doesn't seem like they had a great relationship, uh, Bill and Max. Um, I think that documentary said something along the lines of Max told him he was never going to amount to anything. Anyway, Bill went to the Army Air Corps, and um, when he came home from that, he went to New York University, and he was going to be a teacher, actually, a chemistry teacher, and... He took over the family business instead of teaching. So, um, in so I think it was 1950-ish, 49, where they actually changed a little bit of a course correction. They started doing more stuff that were familiar, that were you know they're famous for uh, a lot of horror, suspense, crime, and all that in between. Um, and this is where he had Al Feldstein, Harvey Kurtzman, and some of his other well-known crew. You know, kind of working with them, and there's, it's interesting too because they were kind of writing stories on the fly, and they would like have to like every day they would go sit down and have to write a full on story. And um, there's some interesting bits because I believe it was it's the Ray Bradbury stories that they kind of started adapting without getting permission. So um, Bradbury actually took notice and was like, "Hey." you know you, you just you know like you're not pay, you need to pay me for reprinting my stories and they were like, hey, we didn't know how to get in touch with you, but we'd love to pay you. Uh, can we continue to pay you to use your stories And so uh, it was really cool though uh, Bradbury actually agreed and they continued doing it ever since and um, well I'm sure we'll get to some of those. but there's a long long uh, there's a lot you can read. And like I said, watch that documentary to get more information, but Bill Gaines is the one, uh, he's the face of it, and did a lot of writing, and uh, go check, go read up more on them. So, The Vault of Horror actually starts, the very first issue is issue number 12. Uh, The reason for that was, it was originally titled War Against Crime. So with number 12, they just changed the title to The Vault of Horror, and Supposedly, it was an attempt to save money on second-class postage permits. Um, that's something that I'm not really familiar I probably should have read about that beforehand, because I'm not really sure how that works or why. Um, but it had a lot to do with that era of publishing, um, and they, they wouldn't change the number with the title. So, it's a little confusing, and I know that the, this isn't the only instance. There's a lot of them. Because there's any, to me an even more confusing uh, sort of switch up with Haunt of Fear resetting its resetting numbering, but then Two Fisted Tales took over the numbering of the Haunt of Fear. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, uh yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. Again, it had it more to do with the era, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that have written more on that. Um, but I'm excited to talk about this book and I'm, or, or you know and a lot of these uh, types of stories because they're fun. So, uh, Vault of Horror number twelve, the first issue, uh, it it was uh, the publication date for that was April of 1950, and it came out every other month. So this magazine, the first magazine, it covered. Two months worth basically is what kind of how they saw it because they would give it a publication date of April/May. slash May. Uh, But the book went on for 29 issues and it ended in for the December/January publication of 1955. So, a little bit about so this when this came out is obviously this is a like I said, it's it's part of like the sort of trinity of Tales from the Crypt, um, Haunt of Fear, and then you have Vaults of Horror. Now, obviously, it has to have a host, and that is the Vault Keeper, and um, who was originally designed by Al Feldstein. Sorry if it seems a little weird and choppy. I uh, we, there's a lot of a few houses in our right around me that are getting new roofs, and for the most part, my mic can uh, it can kind of keep all that out, uh, but sometimes it gets really loud, and I start seeing it creep up on the uh, on the the whatever. And so I'll kind of have to pause, and I can go back and like edit it out later without restarting everything. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully they'll they'll stop. And uh, those nice families can enjoy the new roof. Uh, so a little bit about the demise. So in 1954, uh, Gaines and Feldstein attended. They were going to add a fourth book to the horror publications. And they were bringing back The Crypt of Terror, which was originally Tales from the Crypt, and that got rebranded. So they were going to bring it back as an actual separate book. But they were stopped when all horror and overly violent or just violent comics in general uh in this sort of genre were being sort of attacked by just general moral pushback. Uh, You know, we, we all know what that looks like in different ways, because anytime something horrible happens, something in the media, like I don't mean media as in news, I, I just mean in general media um outlets, music, movies, books, whatever, video games. There's there's always some other something to point a finger at. And so back then, you know, these books were very popular and I guess parents just couldn't really keep these away from their kids. So they decided, well, if if, you know, if our kids are going to get them when we don't want them to, well, no one's going to get them. So in uh April and June of 1954, there was a Senate subcommittee on juvenile delinquency, uh, which targeted violent comic books. So basically what they, in in response to this, and again, that's a whole, this is the Comics Code Authority is what I'm talking about. That's a whole other animal itself. And um, I know I've talked about it before, but I'd like to do a history thing, but it would really take a long time to go through the whole thing. So maybe one episode down the road, we'll see what happens. So instead of having the government... I guess, come in and censor the books. They decided, well, let's just censor our own books. It's self-regulating. And um, they had the Comics Magazine Association of America and the Comics Code Authority that was put in place to keep these things out of comic books and uh, change the course of history because they didn't want to lose, you know, if there was going to be pushback, they didn't want to lose customers. Um, And they didn't want to look like they didn't care about juvenile delinquency. So... There you go. The one thing was, Ga- Bill Gaines, he really pushed back about it. Um, he he had a you know, he he stood up hard for it, but he just wasn't experienced in like legal proceedings and whatnot. So, you know, he was in there talking and answering questions and whatnot, and they would get him because uh, he didn't know the right way to, and I wouldn't either, but he didn't know the right way to go about saying certain, you know, those lawyer tricks and shit like that. And, um, so it really screwed them over, and uh, and then all of this got canceled, and um, all these these books got canceled in September of 1954. So and you had the tw- the twenty ninth issue of Vault of Horror, which is actually um, the number forty in the numbering. Like I said, in December, January 1955. But obviously, nothing great like this stays buried. Uh, they they still they came back. I felt like pretty quick. Um, but I guess when you say 10, ish years, they started doing, uh, it was Ballantine or Ballantine books, uh, reprinted certain stories from the vault. Yeah, you know, it was, you know, an early form of co- um, trade paperback collections, but it was, uh, certain stories anyway. That started in 1964, uh, through 66. So, um, uh, but obviously now they're all, Nicely bound in hard covers, and that's what I have. Um, and they like this one runs retail for fifty dollars. Uh, comic shops should have them; some might not. They probably order them for, from you, and um, or if you know you are like me and you can't afford to do that, uh, there are play- places online that sell books for really, really cheap. Um, I actually did buy this and uh, among others uh, around the black friday cyber monday D- online kind of thing from an online comic book store i believe it was things from another world and they had this insane sale on on i guess the whole site whatever but i got i basically stole these from this website because of how cheap that I got. I mean, it was crazy. I really was uh, very excited that I went to that website that day and I just racked up. So I've got a lot among, and that's not even including single issues that I've got a lot of material that we can do this. I could probably do this show for the rest of my life on what I've got right now, but I'm not satisfied with sticking to what I've got right now. So I keep buying stuff and um, that's the way I like it. And that's what I'm going to do. So, interesting tidbit and i haven't seen it but much like the tales from the crypt movie from the let's see tales from the crypt movie came out i want to say 1973 but i'm going to make sure 1972 is when this came out when tales from the crypt came out so and it's um i actually have seen this one because it's on hulu or netflix or hbo go or one of those things on apple tv uh, and I watched it, and it's it's fun. It's definitely not, like, I, I didn't know that it existed until I came across it on there. I was like, well, I used to watch the show here and there uh, when I could sneak it in. And so I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, not, I mean, it's the same idea. It's an anthology st- movie, and but The Crypt Keeper is played by Ralph Richardson, uh, just wearing a like a brown robe, and talking very do 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 like you know, kind of like ominous. Uh, uh, so I was a little bit disappointed in that, but again, I had to you know, you think about it, it's 1972. They're probably not gonna you know, and the TV Crypt Keeper that we know of was created for that show. So you know, they were just going based on the book, except for uh, Ralph. It's a lot cleaner looking than the Crypt Keeper in the book, but the next year is when they did Vault of Horror. And I haven't seen it yet. And I went looking and I found a version. But the thing is, in the U.S., I believe the theatrical version was an R-rated horror movie. Um, Funnily enough, though, none of the stories actually come from the book Vault of Horror. Uh, They come from, uh, all of them except for one, come from Tales from the Crypt, the other one comes, the one that's different comes from Shock Suspense Stories Number One. So I'm not, I'm not sure why they decided to, uh, why they decided to do that. But you now you can read all about it online. Uh, but I know that. Okay, sorry, I kind of got distracted there. Uh, okay, so I haven't watched it because there is a version online, but I don't know if it is cut or uncut. I know when it was original. Sorry, originally released in the U.S., it was gorier, bloodier, R-rated. That's the one I want to watch. Apparently they cut it down for DVD release to be a PG rated movie, and I don't even think PG thirteen. I mean, I think I, they didn't have that rating. Well, actually, that, I'm getting mixed um, information here because I know it wasn't as common to have a home release for movies back then, but it was still something was different between the the UK and the US. Uh, but either way, I know for it's I think it's original release on DVD. It was cut to be a PG, so they had cut out all the gory stuff and put like a still frame. I'm still not really I can't even picture what that would look like uh instead of the scene. Uh, so, I don't know, that's weird. Um but then apparently there is an uncut version out there somewhere. So, I want to find that and I want to watch it and then maybe I'll talk about it on the show a little bit. So, um okay, actually there is a Blu-ray by Scream Factory that has the uncensored version. So I need to check out Scream Factory. And apparently it is available for purchase, the Scream Factory version. It still says PG, though. Some a little... That's that's weird. Scratching my head about that one. But the description is available uncut for the first time. So it's a double feature of Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror. So maybe that's like a maybe the pg is based off of Tales from the crypt so they could get more people to buy it for their kids or something and then they secretly get an r rated horror movie as the second feature uh, so i don't know i'll have to look into that it's 15 16 bucks almost to get the dvd and then it's 28 almost to get the blu ray so it's a little steep these days we'll see what happens maybe i can uh, do some do some trickeries and find a cheaper copy uh, i cuz i don't have uh, you know lots and lots of money to spend on lots of things and if i do i usually try to buy comics so if you've if you've ever seen that movie, I would love to hear about it. Um shoot me an email at horrorcomicspodcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Twitter and the handle is at horrorcomicspod because I want to know about this movie and I don't want to watch some PG version of it. I want to watch the real the real thing. Also, I wanted to mention this. So you know, I talked about doing a real like I am not saying that. Uh doing a real Horror, like ghost stories or something like that, uh, pulling them from stories on the internet or you know local. For me, live in Louisiana, so there's a lot of a lot of belief in some uh, in some supernatural stuff around these parts. Uh, more so, South Louisiana. I'm Northwest North. Sorry, I'm Northwest Louisiana. Might as well be Texas. So um, you know, not as much here, but it's definitely there. And uh, that being said. I actually would like to, uh, again, maybe hear your, uh, your horror story or your ghost story or whatever uh, creepy experiences, and I could read them on the air. Uh, you can stay anonymous if you want, um, or, I, you know, whatever. I could just use a first name or none at all. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and, and email them to me. Uh would be the best place. That way I, I can kind of maybe keep them all in a folder, all in one place, and then put them in a show mail. But, yeah. If you got something cool, something kind of creepy, uh, please feel free to email me, because um, I'm, I'm way into that kind of stuff. And uh, speaking of emails, I did actually get a first bit of show mail from uh, Barry. Barry, thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, Barry actually said, I love the podcast, um, and likes listening to this podcast on the drive. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much, Barry. It means a lot. And I hope you continue listening, continue enjoying. Uh, I sure have a lot of fun doing it. Um, Obviously, don't take things too seriously. And uh, I don't really write. I I say write. I don't plan. Other than like, I'll obviously read the stories. But like, I don't really write anything, plan anything. I kind of just go with it in the moment. Um, I know I'm not the funniest guy or anything like that. But uh, I have a lot of fun doing it. And it it means a lot that y'all are here. So thank you so much. For listening, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the Vault of Horror. So on our cover, we've got an interesting scene here. Uh, We're at a a wax museum, and we have the guide talking to the onlooking crowd, uh, standing in front of exhibit number three, a stretch rack, torture device used in the Middle Ages. And they're at, oh, you're actually at Gaines's Wax Museum. So there's a nice little nod. This cover is by Johnny Craig. The guide is telling the audience. And here we see the stretch rack, one of the most diabolical instruments of medieval torture ever conceived. Watch the action of the rack upon the wax dummy when I put this mechanical display into operation. We've got a uh, shirtless um, wax dummy statue, whatever, wearing a black executioner style mask. And the body, that is a wax statue, has a thought bubble coming from it. Hmm. And it says, Good lord, can't they see him alive? Not a dummy! I'm flesh and bone! Please, someone help me! So, a little bit of a twist there already, and we haven't even opened the book. We got a nice old-school ad for, Play Red Hot Harmonica Music in Eight Minutes Flat! Rich chords and trickiest tunes. A snap with new sliding note finder harmonica. And we've got a little cowboy head up in the top left corner saying, Yippee! Or it says, Yip dash e. So I'm taking that as being like a space. Yip e. So now, since I'm here basically as East Texas, I can just start saying that all the time. That's actually what we already say. So my cover is blown. But the... Apparently the head of this guy is radio's super special harmonica star, Cowboy Jay Turner, who teaches harmonica like he plays... Wait, sorry, it's a little... These are actually scanned in, which is cool, so they actually are faded if that copy had faded letters or something. It's a little hard to read. Yeah, Cowboy Jay Turner, who teaches harmonica like he plays it, but good. That seems like an insult. That's why thousands of fellers say, play with Jay and you'll really play. This, let me tell you a little little secret about the harmonica you don't need a special slider to get you to the right tone your, your mouth is the slider you just put your mouth it's all set in, to be in one key so anything you play is gonna sound right there's no wrong way to do it uh, you know I guess rhythm might be a thing that if you're not a very rhythmic person um, you know maybe it will be hard. I'm not very rhythmic although I've somehow gotten away with playing guitar and bass in bands and like toured since I was 15. So now 17 years of my life. Uh, Anyway, um, that's all besides the point. Our first opening page of The Vault of Horror. The One thing I'll say about this, uh, reading these collected editions, they've all been recolored. It had to be digital recoloring, and I know that you can go in and read some of the forward and all that stuff, and I'm not going to get into that. There's a forward by R.L. Stein in this, and you can definitely tell the difference between when you have the magazine and the collection just because, I don't know, it's it's not the same. I I prefer the originals, but this is so much more cost-effective for me, even if you were to pay retail 50 bucks that's probably, that's, that's a lot less than you're going to be paying for the actual original magazines if you can find them uh, conveniently. That being said, I mean, the art is still the same. It's just, it feels newer because it's so smooth now, the colors are. So that's the only thing is, like I was saying, the, um, the ad in the front, some of the letters are still uh, kind of like brushed away or kind of faded, but the color is so slick that it's kind of like, the oldness of it actually seems like an effect. Uh, but that doesn't change the stories, and I still really enjoy it. Just a heads up, if, if if that's something that would turn you away from buying something like this, that's def it's definitely the case. We open up with the Vault Keeper, hunched over a big book with a burning candle in the foreground. I guess the idea of the Crypt Keeper or the Old Witch and the Vault Keeper, you know, their mouths are like, I can't tell if it's supposed to be like spit and like drool stringing from their teeth and their lips or what. Uh, I've always kind of assumed it's just supposed to be really gross like drool or maybe it's just a weird way of drawing the teeth. Either way, it's stringy and it makes me feel weird. So we have the vault keeper. Ah, we meet again, dear reader. <laughs> welcome, welcome once more to the vault of horror. This time I have brought out a special story for you that will chill the blood in your veins and perhaps make you stop and wonder a moment when next you meet your best friend. (laughs) This literary gem of horrible unpleasantries is, of course, from my private collection. And I call it Portrait in Wax. Now, let's see. Our story opens in Paris in the middle 1930s. In a squalid dwelling on the left bank, we find two struggling young artists. From here on out, I'm just going to read the... That's killing my throat right now for some reason. So I'm just going to uh, spare us all and just read the narration in a, in a clean voice. Uh, and I'm going to try to refrain from using any accents because I'm terrible at that. And, uh, we're just gonna go from here So, we're, we're gonna do the movie thing And we're gonna be set in Paris But everyone's gonna speak perfect, straight American English, apparently Um, I swear to God I don't know if it's gonna be picked up on here It looks like it was It's like anybody in this town, city That has, like, a really loud muffler That, like, is really guttural and shaky Is gonna drive down my street I swear it's like, it's like a goddamn prank. <sighs> anyway, <clears throat> Robert was a studious person and truly an artistic genius. But with no desire for fame, he was content to work day and night producing his masterpieces. Ah, look, Henry. I have finished another etching. Henry, on the other hand, was precisely the reverse. He had no talent whatsoever, and his ambition and jealousy were rampant. That fool, that idiotic fool... He could sell us etchings. He could be rich, famous. And yet, he doesn't care. But I care. Perhaps if I sold just one, he'd never know. And I could ask a good price. And so, some hours later, at an art buyer's office... Amazing! I'll pay any price you ask, but I I must have this etching. It's superb. You're a genius. Ah, thank you, sir. I, er, I may have others for you. Others? I'll gladly pay you any price for any of your work... Provided you sell to me only, Henry thinks to himself. This is better than I expected. Then it is agreed. We see Henry standing very happily with a bunch of money just flying all around him. (laughs) This is too good. By selling Robert's etchings as my own to that gullible buyer, I can retire for life and amass a fortune. (laughs) Well, we'll see about that. Yes, dear reader, it was quite a setup for Henry. He sold a number of Robert's works, and his pockets jingled merrily. All went well until one day, Robert bursts in the door. Henry! Henry, you bounder! How could you do such a thing? How could you be such a cad as to... <laughs> I don't know what a bounder and a cad is, but I guess maybe it's a Parisian thing. I don't know. How could you be such a cad as to sell my work and claim it to be yours? Wh- what? Robert, how-, how did you find out? I went to a private showing of an art buyer's collection. It was my work I saw. I haven't said anything yet, but I... Wait a moment, wait a moment. I'll give you all the money I have, Robert. I... Money? I don't want money. You get those etchings back, or I'll have you put in prison. I can't get them back, Robert. My, my reputation will be ruined if anyone found out. All right, Henry. If you won't get them back, I'll go to the police. No, no! Come back here, you stupid pig. I won't let you ruin me. Robert looks up at the reader, seemingly... His hat falling off with his hands up. He looks terrified. Put that down, you fool. Th- that's acid, Henry. Don't. Henry smashes the jar of acid on Robert's face. Ah, my face, my face. H- Henry, help me. Help. Henry says. He- he's fainted. I'll-, I'll have to kill him now. It's the only way to get out of this mess. The only way. But how? No one must ever find the body. Wait, I have it. Henry thinks to himself as he's dragging. Robert's body. Robert always keeps a vat of acid in the back storeroom. Uses it for his etchings. The vat should be big enough. Plenty big enough. The acid should destroy him completely. We see him throwing the body into this. I mean, this vat of acid is huge. I don't know how they did things back then in the 30s. But really? It doesn't seem like it'd be legal to have this much acid in a vat. A vat. It's huge. Anyway, this acid should destroy him completely. And no one will ever know. No one will ever question my right to his works. I'll be rich. There, it's done. I I suddenly feel a trifle, sick. Better get back to my room. I'll feel better there. (laughs) Robert's fabulous masterpieces, they're all mine. Henry immediately left Paris and moved to London. Already, his name had preceded him, and with every sale, his fame and wealth grew. For many years, Henry rejoiced in his luxury. (laughs) What a life. The critics call me a master, a genius. I can sell any of Robert's etchings as my own, and no one knows. No one knows! Ha <laughs> ha This is perfect! Perfect! I mean, this guy is like always at it, like he's at ten all the time. Pedal to the metal. But one day there came a shocking realization. Great Scott, this is terrible. I've only a few of Robert's works left, but they won't last long. And what will I do when they're gone? What will I do? I could never duplicate his technique, and without his work, I won't be able to make another dime. I've got to think of something. "'Got to think. It was several days after this discovery, dear reader, that Henry received word that his close friend, Lord James Charingwood, had died. And it was but a week after the funeral that a letter arrived. The letter reads, "'Dear Sir, because of your close friendship with the late Lord Charrington, I thought you would be interested in knowing that a beautiful statue of him has been created by an unknown sculptor living at 55 Thamesbridge Road. You would do well to view it.' "'Hmm. No signature.' Now, I have, to, I have to point out, I, I think immediately, I'm Henry, and I get this letter, and I'm, re- and I'm reading it, and my first thought is, let's see, I see an address, but it also says that the sculptor is unknown. So, that's red flag for me. He crumbles up the letter, throws it in the trash can, but second guesses, takes it back out, and starts to kind of scratch his chin. And so, a short time later, we see Henry... Walking up to Thamesbridge Road. He knocks on 55 Thamesbridge Road, and he says, "Er, uh, I'm informed you have a statue of the late Lord James Charingwood. He was a very dear friend of mine. I should like very much to see it. Yes, yes, of course. Do come in. Why, this statue looks real, like flesh and blood. It's amazing. How are you able to give it such a lifelike quality, Mr. Er, My name is Jules Vendette. The statue is made of wax. I've been experimenting with this process for a number of years. Your work borders on genius. I want to purchase this. Er, wait. I wish to think a moment. As you wish, sir. He thinks to himself, i found another genius. I might be able to capitalize on him as I did with Robert. Stupid public would pay a great deal to see such statues of famous people. Yes, a museum. Now a Vendette will only cooperate. Jules, I have a proposition for you. I want to open a museum. A museum that will house your wax statues of famous people. Are you interested? I could pay you well, my friend. Uh, The money does not matter. I, I will accept your proposal on two conditions. First, that I'll be allowed to work alone, without any interruptions. Secondly, that I make my wax statues only of famous people who have died. I like to think I'm giving them a new life, Henry thinks to himself. Only of famous people who have died? Hmm, I think this would still work. Yes, I'm sure it will. All right, Jules, it's a deal. Henry is skipping down the street under a streetlight with a bunch of ha-ha-has all around. This dude, like I said, he is, he is at ten. Henry's museum opened, and art critics were astounded by the realistic quality of the wax figures. Henry, old boy, you've done it again. You've first your etchings and now this. Oh, you've surpassed yourself, Henry. It's, it's simply incredible how lifelike your statues are. And Henry again lulled in the lap of his new wealth. <laughs> Henry, you're a genius. In your own right, you're a genius. I'm really proud of you. He's standing in the mirror. Oh, man, this guy. Yes, friends, Henry was proud. The fame of his wax museum spread like wildfire. Whenever a famous personality died, his or her wax replica would appear in the museum a week or so later. How we see a bunch of onlookers in all of this wax statue. How beautiful. The statue looks as alive as you or I. So real. Magnificent. It reached a point where it was considered a must for any notable who died to have their facsimile appear. We see Henry on the phone. The person on the other end of the line says, My uncle, Sir Olive... Sorry, not Olive. My uncle, Olive. Sir, my uncle, Sir Clive Birch, died last evening. I, uh, would, you, would pay a great deal if you could uh, assure me that this statue will be in your museum. Uh, <laughs> I think it can be arranged. And so it went until one day. So Henry is trying to move a wax statue. Um, I have to make room for a new statue. Just move this one a bit. Oops. And the way he's <laughs> trying to move this statue is ridiculous. Anyway, it tips over and it crashes into a wall. The hand crashes into a wall, rather. Drat, I've broken the great Scott. Am I seeing things? Beneath this thin layer of wax, a, a human hand. What the? Why, this is the corpse of Thomas Down, merely covered with a thin coating of wax. Jewels! 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 Cheater! Cheat! Faker! Thief! Now I know why you only wanted to make statues of dead people. So you could steal their bodies and coat them with wax. Grave robber! Grave robber! Jules stands there with some terrifying teeth, cackling like a madman. I'll be ruined, you fiend! Ruined! Stop laughing! (laughs) Precisely my plan, Henry. I think that's the voice I had for him. I don't have a very large repertoire of voices, and somehow I still get lost. Precisely my plan, Henry. I sent you that letter telling about the statue I made of Lord Charingwood. I I wanted you to take advantage of me. I planned all this. At that moment, Henry punches Jules in the face. You blundering idiot! You fiend! I'll show you! As he punches him, the face begins to crackle and fall apart. What? What? Your face? It, it's shattered. Falling apart piece by piece. Don't you recognize me under my false wax face, Henry? Don't you know me? I'm not pretty to look at, am I, Henry? Acid destroys a man's face so completely. Yes, Henry, you remember me now, don't you? Robert, no! Keep away! Keep away! We see a newspaper article. The Star Bugle Clarion... Owner of Wax Museum, dies of heart attack. Noted artist sculptor found dead. Well, dear reader, about a week after Henry's funeral, the executor of his estate opened the museum's doors to the public. <gasps> Onlookers are surprised by something. Look, why, it's, it's unbelievable. How did it get here? But he never created a statue unless the person he was depicting was dead. Then how could one man? Well, it looks like Jules. It's Jules, standing in the foreground thinking to himself, <laughs> if they only knew. So it's Robert. But he's got the Jules face on again. So um, he's developed a type of wax that stretches and moves with his expressions and his you know, jaw and his mouth. But it still cracks when you punch it. So interesting logic they've got here. Um, but then again, we are talking about uh, a horror comic and you throw all logic to the side when you're reading comics or fiction or whatever, you're just going to go along with the story there. So I did think this was a fun one though, because I, I liked the, I don't know. I liked that it changed like, uh, so he's still in the, you know, stealing the art and then finding someone else to prey upon to steal their art, a different style. So, you know, I liked that it switched to wax sculptors and then that's how he got them as opposed to, you know, just kind of it being more straightforward, like, oh, he stole the art, he killed the artist, and the artist's corpse comes back, and, you know, whatever, I, I did think it was a fun, clever little story, um, and, you know, in the end, uh, old Henry, well, he got his, didn't he, although I, I did think it was kind of funny that he died of a heart attack, um, or so the papers say, died of fright, maybe, um, I don't know. (laughs) That was kind of... I'm surprised they didn't have Robert just straight up kill him. Um, But they didn't. So, it is what it is. Now, from what I can tell, Portrait in Wax was written by Johnny Craig with pencils and inks by Johnny Craig as well and letters by Jim Roten. There's some interesting... I'm getting this from comics.org. So, they use question marks. It doesn't seem like it always means that they don't know who did that. Because there's a note down here for the next story. Well, I don't know. It's a little confusing. Because it says, Came the Dawn, forward by Bill Mason, credits Fox, Gardner Fox, as the writer. So Fox is added, and Harrison, Harry Harrison, is given a question mark. But he's still listed on script. So... Yeah, I don't really know. It's, um, I don't even know what they're really talking about. Came to Dawn. Maybe that was like in the original magazine, but it's not in this. Uh, I I don't know. They do these short stories too, where it's just, I've talked about it before, but it's uh, like there's fingers of death after the next story, and it's a page of prose story. So maybe it was something like that. Although I took, I don't know, I, I took it in the beginning of this book from the forward and all that to mean that the full magazine itself was actually re-scanned in and and like recolored and whatnot for this because there's ads and stuff so i don't know maybe that website isn't the best place to go but I, i don't know so far it seems like it's okay but the next story is the werewolf legend script by gardner fox and harry harrison with the question mark again pencils by harry harrison inks by wally wood Colors by question mark and letters by Jim Roten. We open with a man running from a werewolf with a full moon in the background. He's dressed in a your typical businessman attire, a sports coat and a shirt and tie. His shirt is tattered. His suit, he's pretty. He's been attacked. Obviously, he's running again from a werewolf. My name is Walter Mallory. I'm an English man. Obviously, I'm not doing the accent. Uh, there's reasons for that. And until recently thought myself perfectly sane and normal and then when those horrible changes came over my body when my blood hungered to kill and raven in the full of the moon I became part of the werewolf legend it began in a deep dense wood just outside Mallory Dean I'm assuming it's pronounced Dean I really don't know it's D-E-N-E I don't know if it would be den because den is d-e-n who knows well someone will maybe correct me we'll see close to the moors of devon i was not myself i was some shaggy hairy monster the monster thinks moon making my blood boil making me hungry i am no man not anymore i am a, a beast uh, someone approaches we see the man from the very first panel On the path, in the shadow of the werewolf, he heard my pounding feet. He turned a white face toward me and screamed. The beast thinks he cannot escape me. He ran. There was fear in his heart that drove his legs. Fear that made me joyous and exultant. I was a beast after my prey. I leaped weakly. He lost his balance and fell. A growl rumbled in my chest. The beast speaks. Tonight... By the light of the moon, I will kill. The man screams. There, there is a blank spot in my mind after that. I dimly, dimly, I recall a bed, tossing, turning, moaning in my sleep, and then there was morning brightness. We see him in the bed with the light coming through. Why, it's daylight. I, and that must have been some awful kind of nightmare. In relief. I staggered to the bathroom mirror, and stared into an, into a hairy, ugly snout. We see the mirror, and the reflection, of a werewolf. It wasn't a dream. There's there's blood on the counterpane, and sheet at and I, I, mercifully, I fainted. When I awakened, Pobs the butler, was thrusting his head through the door. Your cousin, Sir Gregory, would like to know if you'll join him for breakfast, sir. Yes. Yes, Pobs. I'll be down directly. We see Walter walking up to the table, where Sir Gregory is waiting for him with a cup of tea or coffee or something. Sir Gregory says, Good morning, Walter. Hmm, you don't seem to have slept very well. Walter's rubbing his eyes. I I didn't... I uh, had nightmares. Now, I'm not sure who this is. I guess this is Pobbs. Yeah, it's got... well... I don't know. It can't be Bob's. It's got a different... This guy's got a different haircut. A guy comes in. Sir, the news has just arrived. Tom Faversham, uh, he's been found dead on the Old Moor Road. His body torn to shreds. The work of a beast of some kind. Sir Gregory. Why, Walter, you've gone white as a sheet. Are you well, man? I could not answer. In a sick daze, I staggered from the dining hall. Walter's thinking to himself, I killed him. I was... The beast. What... "'What would Gregory say if he knew?' "'I must be careful, very careful,' Gregory. "'Walter, I don't like the way you look. "'Now, suppose you take it easy today. "'Do some reading in the library.' "'Yes, I I guess that will be fine, Gregory, and thanks.' "'For a couple of hours, I read odd books. "'Then I stumbled over some ancient family manuscripts "'that Gregory had left out for me. "'In one of them,' Walter's thinking as he's reading, "'What's this?' "'A family legend.' "'About a werewolf?' "'My blood chilled as I read on, "'unable to tear my eyes from that old vellum,' Walter reading. "'The first Mallory werewolf was Edmund, "'who had gone on a crusade. "'When he returned to his barony, he was changed. "'At the full of the moon, a strange transition came over him. "'His features, coarsened, became hairy. "'He went forth from the castle,' we get a flashback. "'He went forth from the castle, a beast-like thing, "'full of hate and the lust to kill.' His weird cries sent chills down the spines of all who heard. The next Mallory to possess the lycanthro, the next Mallory to possess the lycanthropic shit. I can't. That's really tough to say right now. The next Mallory to possess the lycanthropic germ in his blood was Dennis, Baron of grief Dennis. That just that name doesn't fit. But we're gonna go with it. Tis said of him that he ran with a pack of. And the art covers up the words, which is very odd. Something wolves and was himself blank because of the art. Thirstiest of all. Down through the years, the taint descended. The last known Mallory werewolf was Arthur in 1827. He was cornered and shot by an angry mob. Walter thinks to himself, not the last. The hereditary taint has come down to me. Something in my blood that makes me like the beast. That makes me want to kill. Hollow-eyed, I staggered up to my bedroom that night. I had taken a long walk over the moors. I was tired. I would sleep deeply. Walter, staggering to his bed, thinking to himself, I'm exhausted. (sighs) Tonight I will not be able to run in the woods again. Tired. Going to sleep. Sleep. And then abruptly I awoke. I felt hairs growing on my cheeks. felt my teeth lengthening, becoming fangs. The art depicts um, basically the floating head transforming into the uh, into the werewolf. I'm not really describing the art because this one is very descriptive. Like, it, it's basically, it's... Um, I, I know that like, it probably seems like a simple idea, but this one actually, like, the images don't really show anything that isn't being said, if that makes sense. Like, the actions are being spoken in the narration. Uh, and, and I know that's common, but it's hard to explain what I mean. A lot of times in comics... You know, they'll, it'll have a narration, and the art will kind of tell the story itself, um, or tell maybe not not, not the story, that obviously, but it obviously it does tell the story. I mean, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, the art doesn't depict anything other than what the narration is saying. If that makes sense, like sometimes you do need to describe what's happening in the panel versus what's being said because what's being said doesn't describe the action. Uh, Sorry if that seems like I'm oversimplifying. I just, I wanted to make myself clear here as to why I'm not digging into the actual art of the issue. So now we do see a fully clothed werewolf, Walter, uh, staring out the window. Want to run free, run in the woods. We see him running down the hallway Got to get in the open, breathe the clean air, find prey. I felt the cool night air on my hairy face as I ran freely, effortlessly, like the inhuman wolf I had become. We do see him walking next to a body of water at night. There's a little, I guess it's an owl on the branch. It kind of looks like a cat at first, and I really thought it was going to have him like eat that animal, but it's an owl, pretty positive. We see him um, leaning over a rock. He's now lost his shirt. Actually, I take that back. In the next panel, he's got it back, but it just doesn't have any sleeves. Before, when he was running out, he's fully clothed uh, in like an orange suit, like the mask, uh, or yellowish-orange, whatever. We see him looming over a rock, watching a, um, a passerby on horse. Once I paused to sniff the breeze. I smelt a man. My tongue swelled, and my jaws dripped saliva. He's not far away. I will be able to catch him easily. And his, again, his shirt. His back and the sleeves are gone. I don't, I don't know when he ripped his sleeves off. That's where I'm a little confused. So we see him in the background behind the man on horseback with his shirt on. But I reckon without the horse, the animal scented me, shied in fright. Easy boy, easy there. What is it that makes you so afraid? As if the man is expecting the horse to answer in English. Do you hear? Oh, I see him, the werewolf. And we see Walter, the werewolf, shirtless now, in the path. So this man gets the horse to turn around and starts, I guess, whatever you call it. When they, um, <laughs> uh, I guess, well here they, he says, well I'll just read it because he starts whipping him, and uh, harder and harder, and they, you know, they're taken off. But the uh, back to Walter's narration, the horse bolted in panic. His master, stricken dumb, courted him furiously. I think courted him would be the word. That's, that's how I. The only way I can think to say it. But still, I gained. For I ran as runs the wolf. Effortlessly. Tirelessly. We see Walter, werewolf. I'm going to stop saying Walter the werewolf. That really dumbs it down. Uh, we see the werewolf jump and attack the man. We see what I think is blood. All around, just kind of spattering as, as Walter kind of swipes him and grabs him by the, by the collar. Now I have you. He went back and downwards his scream gurgling in his throat. We see the werewolf with the man's face next to his. And now, the kill. Once again, I awoke with blood smeared across my face. Once again, I fainted when I recovered consciousness. Walter in the dark. I I might as well face it. I'm a monster. To protect innocent people, somebody must kill me. I went to the constabulary in town. I know this sounds ridiculous, but there's a legend that our family castle is a lair for a werewolf. Perhaps it was this creature who killed those men. Walter's talking to a, a policeman and what seems to be a detective, we learned from Scotland Yard. So he's more plain clothes. He's in that orange suit himself. It's kind of got some some checkered cheetah-like... Well, not cheetah. I don't know. He's a little bit more stylish. He's not just just police clothes. So the officer is talking to Walter. He says, So, there's a family werewolf, huh? Uh, you? how do you learn that?' "'Walter. Uh, "'From some old manuscripts that have been our family for generations. Uh, "'My cousin Gregory showed them to me.' "'We see them walking down the street. "'I'm from Scotland Yard. "'This story of a werewolf fascinates me. "'Suppose I have your castle surrounded in case, um, the werewolf appears. "'Splendid, sir. That, just what I want. "'And when you see the, the beast, shoot to kill.' "'That night, I went to bed with a clear conscience.' If I roamed the moonlit moors again, the police would see me and fire. But as the moonlight grew stronger and stronger, I felt my strength growing and my teeth lengthening. Again, I roamed the forest. Again, a human fled before me. What had happened? Why had the police not killed me? And we see the werewolf tackling an old man in the woods with a growl. And I have to ask, why are there so many old men traversing the woods late at night? I I, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be late at night. But still, alone in the woods, maybe they maybe they should have bit it. Again, I floated up through the dimly remembered horror into the light of day. We see Walter approaching the mirror in his human form, but holding a pistol. The police failed. I told them to come here, to shoot me when they saw me leaving, but they didn't. I'll have to shoot myself. And as he puts the gun to his head, You! You did come for me! Thank heavens! Now I'll never hurt anyone again! The... Detective from Scotland Yard says, You'll never hurt anyone at all, Walter Mallory. He's got a police officer behind him. It was your co- It was your cousin... <clears throat> Back in care <laughs> It was your cousin Gregory. It was your cousin Gregory. Jesus, I can't remember what voice is what anymore. An accomplished hypnotist who murdered those three men. They had been blackmailing him. He put that werewolf makeup on your face after having hypnotized you. He worked on your subconscious mind. He worked on your sub <clears throat> ooh he worked on your subconscious mind causing you to believe that you committed those ghastly crimes but they were so real if they were dreams they were real to you the hypnotic mind if so directed remembers what it has experienced under hypnotism sorry they were real to you the hypnotic mind if so directed remembers what it has experienced under hypnotism gregory commanded you to remember He had these manuscripts prepared by an expert to fool you. He hoped remorse would overcome you, wanted you to kill yourself. You see, you stand to inherit a considerable fortune. By your death, he would have become next of kin. It was a malevolent plan, and yet a simple one. If you failed to kill yourself, he was in a position to order you committed for insanity. But he had to get rid of those blackmailers, and we caught him leaving the house last night, followed, and collared him. You're a free man, Walter Mallory. So that's it. This one doesn't have a The End or any kind of uh, outro by the Vault Keeper or anything like that. But I enjoyed it. It's fun. Although I'm wondering, like, what was the cutoff between the, I guess, makeup being applied and when the makeup was removed? Because it almost seems like Obviously, I guess the hypnotism, he like, it's weird. He made him think that he had memories of murdering these men. Uh, Obviously, his cousin Gregory was smearing like fake blood or maybe real blood or whatever on his face after removing the makeup. So I guess the makeup part (laughs) seems like uh, quite a pretty extensive um, ordeal as opposed to just hypnotizing him and showing him, I don't know. Uh, a, a, a painting, or like a picture, or something, of werewolf, I don't know, or somebody in a werewolf mask, uh, and just having that implanted, and remembering that, and then attaching the memories of killing with that image, um, but, you know, I'm I'm way overthinking it, obviously, but I sometimes can't help myself, uh, especially like this, but I, it, I thought the ending was quite abrupt, when it was like, oh, hey, by the way, you're a free man, your cousin did this, but you don't, you don't ever really see the cousins. That's what I guess to me, what's strange about this story is you don't ever see the cousins uh, come up you know what I mean? Like, that's usually what happens is like, normally, this story would be like, your cousin did this, and then the guy would go get the cousin or something like that. But this is just kind of an off pant. You don't, you never see that the apprehension, uh, the ap- wait, not apprehension, um, or maybe that is the word I'm looking for, but you never see them get gregory it's just told and then it's over without a the end or even a so see kitties when the doo do, whatever uh happened i say that happened it doesn't happen so that's where i was like well this is kind of an odd one um but again i, I mean i enjoyed it because i didn't again reading through it um uh, the first time i didn't really remember or, or i say remember i didn't really know where it was gonna go. Um, necessarily. So that was fun. And also the whole Scotland Yard detective guy reminded me of Hugo Weaving in the 2010 remake of The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro and Anthony Hopkins and also Emily Blunt, uh, among others. I loved Hugo Weaving's performance in that movie. Actually, I really liked that movie. Um, I saw it twice in theaters and I loved it. And then it wasn't until after that second viewing when I was like, oh, guys, like, did you guys see The Wolfman? And, like, nobody that I knew liked that movie. And I was like, what the hell? What did I miss? Like, I I don't know. I I just, I really enjoyed it. And when it came out on DVD, I, mean, I remember buying it and, like, having some friends over and putting it on. And, like, they were just, like, over it. They didn't even want to finish the movie, like, pretty early on. So I was like, what the hell? I'm... I, I don't know. Maybe it's my affinity for the original and all the Universal movies, but I loved that movie. And again, I did recently rewatch it. I, I still really liked it. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, no movie is perfect, but no movie is ever expected to be. But sometimes, I guess people, you know, pick and choose when they want to complain about certain things. I don't. I don't know. I liked it a lot thought it was good especially the scene where he's in the you know uh, i don't know i can't remember what you call that but when all the doctors are watching uh as they're testing on benicio del toro's lawrence talbert character and he starts to you know the moon starts to show it becomes full and he's like freaking out and he's like talking about how i'll kill all of you like i just thought that performance and that scene was really good and he proceeds to kill everyone that can't get away And I just really liked it. But yeah, the Scotland Yard part of that, where you have Hugo Weaving, who is an actor who I have to have his name. I'm so familiar with him, but I have to have his name in front of me to ever remember it. So I literally have him up on uh, my computer screen right now because I don't know why. I love him as an actor. He is incredible. I thought he was great as Red Skull in Captain America, the first Avenger, um, obviously in The Matrix, but I, I mean, countless other... V for Vendetta, he is a fantastic actor, and for some reason, I never remember his damn name. Anyway, that's beside the point. This had... Um, I, I To the extent that I wonder if they... I don't know I, it, maybe it's I don't know I, I don't I hate to say that because it's, it's not like Scotland Yard is like a rare thing in movies or anything or like even like period I, but like for some reason that's what stuck in my mind and I was like I wonder if they watched this movie or, or read this book rather sorry read this book and like took some stuff from it because he like he goes he turns himself in and then they're walking past the pub and that's where in Wolfman Hugo Weavings uh, Aberdeen I think it's Aberdeen Abilene let me double check. I've already left that. Aberlene. Aberlene. Yeah. Um, there he, he goes, that's like the introduction, I think to his character. He goes into the, um, to the pub and he orders a pint of bitter and he's like reading the paper and it's just a great scene. And then like, that's when you hear the wolf howl and he goes out anyway. Um, I loved that. So th- this, there were th- elements of this book that remind me of that movie And I have to wonder um, if maybe they took that cue or maybe they didn't. And it's not that crazy to me. But I also thought that, you know, Anthony Hopkins' performance as Benicio del Toro's father was really good, really creepy. And um, a lot of people criticized the sort of climax at the end. I liked it because I'm so used to the original that I was just kind of expecting the same thing. Only, you know, they were making him and spoilers if you haven't seen it you know they make anthony hopkins a lot like pretty eccentric in the movie like he's very eccentric you know benicio del toro is his son who went off um to america to be an actor he's like now like a famous stage actor and he comes home and um i uh, he went apparently pretty young uh, people criticize it. it was like, well, why does Anthony Hopkins have a, you know, why does he have an English accent and Benicio Del Toro doesn't? Well, you know, if he moved to America pretty young, he might not have an accent, you know, like he might sound like an American. Uh, but anyway, I uh, I liked their whole situation, their chemistry was really uh, purposefully awkward, especially when Emily Blunt is introduced and um, all of that as his brother's, his deceased brother's uh, widow. And uh, that's the first time I actually ever saw her, and I really liked her a lot in it, too. Um, but it was just cool. As a, as a kid that grew up loving the Wolfman, but like there was that part of me that wanted the gore, that wanted the... And it's again, it's not over-the-top gore. It's not like a gore fest, but I wanted the blood and I wanted the kills to be seen and a little bit more gruesome as a kid. This movie brought that uh, for me and I just, I don't know, I really liked it a lot, so I'm, you know, maybe I'm an, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the weird one, uh, because it seems like I'm, I'm, I'm part of the, uh, minority when it comes to people that I talk to, like, well, never mind, I was gonna read the Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, but you know what, fuck those sites, I, I hate that aggregate shit, um, it never reflects the audience scores, I say never, it rarely reflects the audience score, they had Rotten Tomatoes, there's so many movies that I love that are a quote unquote splat on Rotten Tomatoes, and they're 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 ridiculous. Because like Google, you sorry Google users, eighty eight percent like the movie, thirty five percent of Rotten Tomatoes, but that's that that percentage is critics. It's not it's not people that actually paid to go see the movie. Metacritic's the same way. It's a forty three percent. Again, it's critics. It's people that were paid to watch it. And no telling if they even like horror movies, you know what I mean? Uh, but eighty percent of just users liked it. So, you know, I, again, that's just the reason I ended up just giving all that is because, again, the audience review is a lot more positive. So I, I didn't mean to go on a tangent about The Wolfman, but I kind of ended up doing that. So, but again, Vault of Horror, uh, Legend of the Werewolf. Werewolves are a thing that are, there was a, a very distinct phase of like and they've always been part of horror culture but as far as comics go there was like a distinct time period (laughs) where it was like all right every horror comic needs to have a werewolf and um it just kind of flooded it. But again, that's not the only thing you do the same thing with vampires and zombies and all that stuff. And it ebbs and flows. I just feel like this happened during that time period. And maybe it didn't, I don't know. I didn't do a lot of research on it. Uh, so, but I enjoyed it. The art is great. I love it. Um, other than the, uh, you know, not being able to decide if the werewolf is wearing a, like a suit jacket or nothing or a vest or nothing. Um, so that was, pretty funny to me so anyway we'll get off that tangent and move on to the next issue or story rather but actually i said i wasn't going to read it but this is actually written by william gaines bill gaines whatever you want to call him uh it is called the fingers of death now this only has one panel of art but because it's written by william gaines and he's the man behind the brand after his father i figure what the hell i'll read his story Again, it's called The Fingers of Death, and the one panel is just kind of, it's a human hand with kind of just fingers in the form of, uh, I I don't know, uh, maybe the emperor when he's shooting lightning bolts. I I really don't know. He's just kind of, it's a hand with like, in a black background with red kind of like explosion kind of thing, or not explosion, just uh, red, you know. Uh, when they want to emphasize something, maybe? A lot of times it's associated maybe with, like, oh, there's pain in this joint of this guy's elbow, or when they bang their elbow. I don't know. Anyway, regardless, not another tangent from me. Sorry. His fingers relaxed, and he felt the body sliding away from him toward the floor. The throat that had blue marks as a result of the strangling. At last, he had done it. Killed Montrose with his own hands. Now to get hold of that dazzling gold chain the priceless piece he had wanted so much that he was willing to let it force him to murder. He whirled and faced the window, his mouth dropping open momentarily. Those blinding lights. Someone was driving into the alley, the headlights of the car exploding against his bloodshot eyes. He had to get out. They would find the body, now in a matter of moments. He must get as far away from the corpse as possible. The gold chain. It would have to wait. He'd have to come back later when no one was around. He couldn't risk being caught here for there was murder in the balance. With a screwdriver, he was able to pry open the heavy brass hinges of the mausoleum door. The door squealed open, and he peered into the darkness beyond for a second before he slipped into the macabre stone-floored chamber. The funeral had taken place more than a week ago, and he had time, in the interim, to sneak back to Montrose's house, go over it with a fine-tooth comb. But his search had been to no avail. The gold chain had been nowhere to be found. And then the truth had struck him. That immensely valuable chain. It had probably been buried with Montrose. He would have it in his hands in a matter of moments, just as soon as he was able to open the coffin, take it from beside Montrose's cold cadaver. I guess he knew it would be... I mean, that's interesting to me that he wouldn't assume a family member took it. It was there in Montrose's folded hands. He could see its dazzling surface gleaming under the rays of the small lamp he had placed at the head of the coffin. Montrose's hands held it and he felt the perspiration forming on his forehead as he tried to pry it loose from those unyielding, icy fingers. He wrenched and pulled, but still the fingers held firm. In desperation, under the tiny flickering light, he was able to move the fingers slightly apart and slip the gold chain free. A leer formed on his face as he bent far forward under the light to examine the treasure he held at last. His face brushed against Montrose's skin, and he shuddered, and then he felt those fingers, the ones he had been able to pry apart, beginning to close again in death. Close, like a steel trap. With a gasp, he tried to wrench free. They were closing tighter, tighter around his own throat. He felt the icy tips digging into the soft flesh of his throat. He struggled to free himself, tore at the dead hands desperately, but there was no resisting those hands. They were re in death. And he was being trapped by the very man he himself had strangled. A sob escaped from his lips. He felt a searing sensation in his lungs as he tried to gulp the air. And then everything was turning dark, like a bulb that had been burnt out. And he was falling. Falling. I mean, this is a typical EC story. It's just, you know, not illustrated, obviously. I like it. I'm glad I decided to read it. Full disclosure, I hadn't read it till I was just now reading it uh in on the recording so uh but yeah i liked it actually that's uh you know again it's the same kind of thing as you get in the actual comic versions um the same kind of retribution you usually get in this situation and uh it never fails i always like it but um maybe i'll start reading these more often cuz i i've skipped a few in other books and uh i know like creepy and maybe eerie I think they do, like, listener, reader uh, submitted stories like that. And uh, that might be actually kind of cool to, like, dig into because, you know, I was just asking all of you to, like, send in, you know, maybe ghost stories that you've experienced or creepy things that you've experienced or whatever. By the way, that goes for things that maybe friends have told you, too, like, secondhand. It doesn't have to be you. Um, Again, I can keep whatever names anonymous or just change the name or whatever. So, again, I want to hear from you. HorrorComicsPodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, um, so yeah, I liked it. and But anyway, okay, so we are going to go into the actual next story, which is Horror in the Night. It was written by Ivan Clapper. There's a question mark next to that, so maybe it wasn't Al Clapper. I don't know what. <laughs> but the pencils and inks were by Harvey-, Harvey Kurtzman, and the letters were by Jim Roten. Never had Tom Hawkins known such fear before. Never had death seemed so terribly real and close to him as it did the night of this terrible dream. He'd awakened, shaking with uncontrollable dread of this horror in the, in night. the night. We open with a giant splash of what seems like Tom seeing an apparition of a woman who looks pretty normal. Um, she's got her claws up like she's about to attack or something, and she has long nails, but... So he looks pretty normal. 9.30 in the office of the Hawkins Tourist Colony on Route 6. Tom! Jim walks in the front door, Jim wearing a fedora and glasses, blue jacket coming in from the outside, startling Tom enough to where he's spilling a drink that he's sh- pouring into a shot glass at 9.30 in the morning. Whew, what gives, anyway? Just starting the day and hitting the bottle already? Oh, it's you, Jim. I thought it might be someone else. You're shaking like a leaf, Tom? What is it? Some terrible accident? Has something happened to you? Speak up. I, I don't know, Jim. I, I had the feeling something horrible was about to happen. I have a premonition of some awful disaster. It was last night, Jim. A dream that was so like-like. I haven't recovered from it. It happened right here, and it seemed to be a warning to me. Something terrible. A warning of terrible things to come. Well, get it off your chest, Tom. Suppose you tell me about it. You'll think I'm going out of my mind, Jim, but, but it's something I have to share with someone. And a brother is better than anyone else. It all started right here at my desk. Ordinary enough, eh? It happened just before noon, in this dream. I heard the squeal of brakes outside. There was a car out in the driveway. Tom walks out the front door to greet the customers. Customers starting early today. A man in a fedora and a pinstripe suit. Got a cabin for two, just for overnight? We'll be leaving early in the morning. You bet, sir. Got a nice one back off the road. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, John Smith, from er, Nevada, heading east along Highway 6. Guess that takes care of the registry, all right. The man was ordinary enough, but his wife, there was something eerie about her. Just looking at her sent a chill up my spine. There was a wild, a mad look about her. And as they're walking away, they're walking uh, in the foreground towards, say, the reader, back to their car. And the woman is in the foremost, and the man's behind her. And he looks pretty weird too, but she is kind of in the shadows, kind of got a weird grimace look on her face, but also kind of dead inside. And he's. Tom is saying this out loud. <laughs> Seems like there's still an earshot, but uh, Tom gives no fucks today. Brr, that woman. Her eyes are like a wild animal's. Seems to be an uncontrollable fire burning in her brain. We forgot to mention Tom was ever the poet. No, I was busy all day, and that strange dream of mine, but. I couldn't get the thought out of my mind that tragedy was close by, that the man and his wife were doomed to some horrible fate. We see Tom standing outside their room, which is number 10. They're leaving in the morning, he said. The sooner the better. Something about her, something unearthly, somehow, by some strange power that can be explained only by the very nature of dreams. I was in cabin 10 that night. Not in the flesh, of course. Not as Tom Hawkins. More as a hovering presence. A ghost, you might say. Inside the room, Mr. Smith... I'm turning out the light, Emily. Those pills, they should make you sleep. We move to the next panel where Mr. Smith is asleep and we see the shadow of Emily standing over his bed. He's, he's asleep. That's the only time I have my freedom. When he's asleep, I'll dress escape from him. We see Emily walking out the door of cabin 10 where there's a black and white cat on the doorstep. Emily, he thinks he can keep me a prisoner, does he? I'll show him I'll escape and then I can do whatever I please. No one can stop me, once I'm free. With bated breath, I watched this strange story unfold before my eyes. The front door swung open. The ghostly moonlight crept in the room. No, it can't be. Please, save me. It's reaching out to touch me. Death is here. No, stay away from me. You can't take me. You can't claim me. Don't touch me. Death! I'll kill you before you can touch me. I've killed you before, wherever I've met you. And I'll kill you again. My mind rocked with the implications of what my astonished eyes were seeing. This woman, this strange Mrs. Smith. She was insane, driven by a mad lust to kill. We see the shadow of the cat jumping at the woman, and we see uh, Mr. Smith waking up as he hears the tussle and a... <whistles> Emily, that scream. What, what have you done? I, I told you to stay here in bed, and a cat on the floor. It, its throat ripped and slashed. ''It's dead. You've killed it, Emily. Torn its throat. Like a ghoul. Like the ghoul you've become.'' ''These were the guests who had come to our cabin. The man with the wife who was a mad murderer. A murderer on the level of the savage jungle animals.'' ''Get into bed, Emily, and stay there. When these spells come over you, nothing is safe. Heaven help us if I don't get you into asylum in time.'' ''We see him locking the door to the cabin, putting the key into his pocket of his robe. You've gotten to the stage where anyone near you is in danger.'' In danger of having you slash their throats. Get into bed. We'll leave before sunup. I felt sick. This apparition who had materialized in my dream. This wild woman had descended to the level of the predatory beasts. She was a raging, skulking monster. I tried to leave the cabin, but I too was a prisoner. This is kind of weird. Underneath this, it's like some of these narration, these dialogue boxes, they're their own panel. Uh, This one's off to the side, and underneath it is just a pair of red lips and, like, teeth. But it's not like, I don't know, it's just weird looking. The lips are really strange. Uh, Plump, but not in, like, a sexy way. It's, uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe. Uh, But it's really odd. Because I'm like, is this supposed to be Tom's mouth? telling? It has to be her mouth. Yeah, because she's got red lips in the beginning, so I don't know why she'd still have it on to sleep, but she is insane. So you have, somehow, John Smith is asleep again. After all this, well, she comes in. She's trying to take the robe. I'll escape yet. I'll get back there, back to the cemetery. (laughs) Now we see her running, and what looks like Mr. Smith sleeping on an upright bed. It's very odd. She's running away. The bathroom, I I dropped it. I have to get away. What? Emily, give, give the key back. You won't stop me. You pretend to love me, but you really have only hatred for me. I'll kill you the way I've murdered all the others. She leaps at him, crashing into a mirror. Emily, it's your husband. Want to help? N- no, have mercy. No, no. We see a panel below a letterbox, and it is Tom with his face in his hands. I was hypnotized when I watched the terrible scene transpiring before my eyes, and there was nothing I could do. I wasn't even there. It was nothing but an awful nightmare, and I was trapped in it. We see further tussling of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Emily, nothing I can do. Must kill you. We see him strangling her off panel. We see his face and her arm swinging up. Seems like she's trying to, like, slash at his face. You've become a wild animal. You scratch and slash like a trapped tigress. I'll have to kill you with my own hands. Right before my eyes, a horrible murder was being committed. A wave of nausea passed over me. I felt faint, but my eyes were riveted to the nightmare in front of me. We see uh, Mr. Smith pulling a pistol out of a top drawer, out of a dresser. D- dead. I killed her. I should have known ever since our baby was killed, clawed to death by a cat. Jesus, this, this would be the inevitable end. It was as if the man was telling me the reason for the tragedy that had just occurred. We see him holding the gun up to, hey, just kind of looking at it. She's been a raging lunatic ever since the accident. Killed every animal crossing her path. Tried to kill herself by leaping into the grave where the baby was buried. Whenever she was alone near the cemetery. Now we see the smoking gun on the floor next to a hand. Assuming he killed himself. We're now back in the office of Hawkins Taurus Cabins. And Tom. And then I woke up, Jim. Feeling certain that I had seen something that was never meant for mortal eyes. It was horrible. Now Take it easy, Tom. It's probably your nerves. You've been working too hard lately. Just relax. Outside the tourist cabin, we see a car pull up. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Overwork, Or maybe something I ate didn't agree with me, eh? It's, I'm tied up in knots. That must have been the reason for the nightmare. I'll just forget the whole thing. Here comes a car. I'll take it. Tom's walking out the front door. And thanks a lot, Jim. You don't know how I felt about this. It was as if, as if I, I had peeked into the future and seen something awful. So thanks for talking to me. I feel a thousand percent better already. A man in a brown hat and a pinstriped suit. Got a cabin for two? Just for overnight. We'll be leaving early in the morning. Tom thinks to himself. What? Those words. That that face. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, John Smith from uh, Nevada. Heading east along Highway 6. Guess that takes care of the registry, all right? Tom's still thinking to himself. No, it can't be. It mustn't be. P- please, go back. Don't stop here. The man and the woman, it's them the same two. We see a panel where Tom's looking at them right in the face, very nervous looking, and it is indeed the couple from the beginning. Now we see a spiraling background, uh, much like a vertigo kind of thing, and Tom's head and his hand over his mouth. It's come here. Death is here. I can feel it in this room, like a couple of ghosts that I myself have created and dragged out of my nightmare, and and there's nothing anyone can, can do to stop it. The end. So, his dream come... Did it come true? Or is he in a repeating dream? Is he in hell? And this is his hell. He's forced to relive this nightmare. So, it's an interesting ending. I think they're meant to... I think it's meant to be that he's... This is actually happening. Because they really, really over-explain... They're not over explained, but they really are driving it home. Like in case the reader wasn't sure, yes, this is a repeat <laughs> of what happened in the beginning and in the dream. Cause I mean it's it's so funny. Uh, you know, the whole it mustn't be. Please go back. Don't stop here. It's the man and the woman. It's them. The same two. It's come here. Death is here. I can feel it in the room. Like a couple of ghosts that I myself must- <laughs> anyway, it's just funny. Um, in case, you know, there's any readers out there that are like Oh, oh, okay, I was curious at first, but yes, it is the, in fact, man and woman from his dream, okay, wait a minute, I'm not sure, let me read that again, um, so it's a funny little trope, nice little, nice little twist, because I have to assume in my mind, uh, to me, it's, I don't know, I, I like, it's more uh, unnerving if it's like a never-ending cycle, (laughs) um, so who knows, who really Knows um, Some of the uh, The art seems a little This seems a little bit more cartoony Than it usually is But it's hard, I have to think maybe it has something to do With the coloring Being more modern um, Kind of giving it that effect And smoothing out all the lines and what not So that's I have to think it's that And I, I know it was digital coloring um, So that's You know it is what it is, but um, you know, fun little fun little deal there. He was really uh, really affected by this dream. I, you know what I actually would have been curious about would be to see uh, his brother Jim' his reaction to because uh, they came inside to sign. They came inside to sign the registry, and Jim would have still been in there. I would have to assume, but I would have been curious to see that to see what Jim says. You know, he's like. You know, because he could have just been like, hey, does something wacky going on. This is the couple from the dream. Because, um, you know, naturally, Jim probably would have been like, Tom, you've gone insane. Time to get you to the asylum. So, who knows, though? We may never know. Uh, the next little part is the Vault Keeper's Corner. This is Reader Mail. And then there's another short story here uh, in the form of Prose with one panel of what looks like a jail cell. It's bars, rather, and like a metal, metal walls and floors, or cage, rather. It's called Tooth and Fang. The knife slashed down. There was a gasp, and then he straightened up and looked at the body of the paunchy circus owner, stretched there on the wooden floor, one hand slowly relaxing from the canvas of the circus tent. He had done it. He would have to look around the headquarters tent fast. Someone might come this way any minute. He was bent over the tin box when he heard the footsteps. He straightened up as if he was he had been wound tight, and his eyes narrowed when he saw the three shadows striding towards the open flap of the tent. His heart raced ominously. He felt the skin on his neck prickle. Those roustabouts. They were headed here. He slipped the wad of bills into his pocket and looked around the tent in desperation. He couldn't go out the front door of the tent, for they were sure to see him, and he would hang for the murder. There had to be another way out. There must be another escape and then his eyes noted the barred door at the opposite end of the tent, as if a cage had been backed up against the far end of the tent. That was how he would escape, through that barred door. His hands fastened around the handles near the floor, and he gave a sturdy yank. The door lifted up under his weight. It was a matter of seconds before he stepped beyond the door, released it, and heard it slam shut behind him. Then he whirled and peered between the bars, saw the three roustabouts pausing at the entrance to the tent. If he could remain here until they went away. If he could remain hidden here behind the door, it would give him a little more time to think of how he was going to escape. There was a low snarl behind him, and he whirled, his eyes squinting into the darkness that surrounded him. His heart lurched inside him. Not more than ten feet from him he saw those fiery eyes boring straight into his own cat's eyes. He realized with a shudder, and his own eyes had become accustomed to the light, enough for him to know what it was that faced him. A snarling, panther the fur at the back of its neck was rising stiff and straight it was getting ready to spring at him he whirled his hands tearing at the barred door but it was rock fast i've never heard that expression before he had he had slammed it shut when he entered it couldn't be open from this side his heart missed a beat he was suddenly bathed in cold prickling perspiration he opened his mouth and screamed at the men who were now moving away from the front of the tent He must attract their attention before it was too late, before he shuddered to to think of what would happen to him here in this cage with a raging panther. He screamed, tilting his head back, but the sound which issued from his lips was drowned out by a more frightening sound, the panther emitting its blood-curdling roar as it prepared to leap. Drunkenly, he turned, flattening himself against the wall, knowing that his voice could not be heard, that this time there was no escape for him. He saw the panther squat before it launched itself, and even as he stared at those fiery eyes, the pain came over him like a wave, and he knew it was the end. All right, a lot of cat activity in this issue, or more than normal, Um, yeah, Uh, but this time the cat had its revenge for, you know, the other cat that was murdered by Emily, so a bit of cat justice um, before we get to the last story of uh, the first issue of Vault of Horror. I didn't I, I didn't realize, actually, that in the last, or the previous issue, so it would have been issue 11 of the war, uh, war against crime, I think. Uh, whatever, whatever this one used to be, I've already forgotten. Um, there was a story in there called The Vault of Horror. So I get where the name came from now, and somehow I missed that when I was reading about just this book in general. Um, so that's interesting. That's interesting. All right, so we're going to move on to the story. <clears throat> and it it is written in a woman's voice. Um I'm going to be honest with you. My <laughs> throat is uh is not not feeling great today and um I Emily Smith's voice I was Doing as a whisper just to change it up And I realized that that felt much better I'm not going to do that this whole time I'm probably just going to use my normal voice And, uh, you know, it is what it is But just remember that um, this is a woman uh, Telling this story to change things up a bit He was trying to kill me He hated me And then one night He almost succeeded. The night I rode a terror Terror train. train, 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 train. It all started the day I decided to run away from Ralph. He was going to kill me. I knew that. I had to get away. I packed a small bag and hailed a taxi. The railroad terminal, and please hurry. Yes, ma'am. As the taxi sped downtown, I huddled in the corner of the seat, afraid that he might see me. Ralph hated me so. I don't remember how it started, but it had developed to a point where I feared for my life. I remember one day, Ralph came home with a package. What'd you buy, Ralph? Oh, nothing, Gloria, dear. Something for my own personal use, as we see him putting a jar of uh, labeled poison into what looks like a cupboard. Here we go. She can't see the label, or can she? It was poison. It ha- I had to be on my guard. I watched the bottle carefully, and when I noticed some of the poison missing, I didn't eat. Pretending some excuse, I was careful. He failed that time inside the taxi. I said, here's the terminal, lady. Oh, I beg your pardon. I paid the fare and looked up and down the street. I didn't see Ralph. I rushed into the station. And at the window, I'd like a ticket to, to New York. that will be 3410, ma'am. I stuffed the ticket into my purse and looked around. If Ralph ever caught me doing this, I drove the thought from my mind. No, I would get away. I had to. I would be safe then. I sat down on a bench in a corner of the waiting room and hid behind a newspaper my train wasn't due for 20 minutes suppose ralph called called at home there would be no answer he would know i thought of that night last month when i woke to find ralph standing over me a kitchen knife in his hand ralph i i found this knife on your night table gloria you shouldn't leave things like this around he had stammered out a lame excuse he was going to murder me and i discover him i discovered him in time i didn't sleep the rest of that night i just lay there listening back on the bench. Uh, Pardon me, ma'am. That's your train. You'd better hurry or you'll miss it. Oh, thank you. I went out to the platform and boarded the train. I found my seat. Why didn't we start? I glanced out the window. Someone was running down the platform. It... She yelled, Ralph. As the train began to move, the man swung himself up into the car behind mine. I wasn't sure. It could be Ralph. It looked like him. Yet I was frightened. It was too late to get off. The train was on its way. If God forbid... You stop somebody and say, Hey, you know, my husband is trying to kill me. I'm trying to get away. Someone maybe should stop the train? I don't know. I guess we wouldn't have the story if that happened. It's, it's just my nerves. I, I needed a drink. I wonder if there's a club car on the train. I made my way to the club car. It was smoky and crowded. I slipped onto a stool at the bar. Bartender. What'll it be, lady? I, I'll have a scotch and soda, please. The drink burned going down. I shuddered. Suddenly, a reflection in the mirror caught my eye. We see Ralph in the reflection. (gasps) Ralph! I was afraid to turn around. It was Ralph. I had seen the mirror. Had he seen me? I stepped away from the bar and ran from the car. As she runs into another man. Oh, I beg your pardon. Excuse me, lady. I had gone out the wrong end of the club car. I was in a coach. Not a pullman. If I wanted to get back to my car, I would have to go through the club car again. She approaches an empty seat next to a man the seat taken why not that i know of ralph wouldn't look for me here in the coaches he knew i always traveled pullman so why would he be suspicious anyway i sat down i would wait till it was safe and sneak back to my berth i thought about getting off the train at the next stop but all my clothes my money my ticket were in the other car why why did he want to kill me i remembered one night about the time that it all started gloria i've taken out some insurance policies life insurance if "'Something happens to either of us. "'The other gets $25,000.' "'Oh? I... I see, Ralph. "'Perhaps that was it. The money. "'$25,000 is a lot of money.' "'Suddenly my heart stopped. "'I felt a hand on my shoulder.' "'A man approaches. "'Your ticket, miss?' "'Oh, I, I left it in the other car.' "'The conductor looked at me, quizzically. "'He must have thought I was trying to ride free. "'No, really, I... I... I have a berth back in the Pullmans.' "'You'd better show me, miss.' As we passed through the club car again, I searched the faces of the people. Ralph wasn't there. Perhaps I had made a mistake. The drink. Maybe it had been the scotch and soda. But this is my berth. I'll get my ticket. Alright, miss. I've, I'll i say this. I've never been on a train like this. Um, the most I've ever done here is I, I've been to New York multitude of times and I've ridden the subway. Um, I've never seen this type, like a train with a club car and all that I guess long distance traveling trains uh, we just don't have them around here so these bunks with like the curtain I guess for birth I guess that's a a real I mean I'm assuming it's a real thing because uh, it doesn't seem like something they'd make up they, I've been on a tour bus before traveling for a very short period of time. We never were lucky enough to have a tour bus, but every now and then we'd be with a band that would let us uh, either travel with them or if some of the members were going home for a couple of days. Uh, they'd let us, you know, maybe jump on and ride. And it looks a lot like this. It's just like bunks with curtains is in a little small hallway. So that's pretty cool. The conductor was satisfied. M- my berth was made up. And since I felt a little dizzy from the drink, I-, I decided to get some sleep. One drink? One scotch and soda? God, I feel like, a- I, feel like I-, I maybe have a problem. This doesn't seem like a lot. Whatever. Of course, at this point, the first time I was reading, I'm, I'm thinking, uh-oh, She just got poisoned. We'll go on. She's sitting in her berth. It must have been someone who looked like Ralph. I'll feel better in the morning. We see her asleep in her berth, and safer too. The train, hurtling through the night, was putting more and more miles between Ralph and me. I closed my eyes. The train rumbled on and on, and I felt myself drifting into sleep. Suddenly, I was awakened by an ear-splitting, piercing shriek. I looked out of my berth. The curtains on the other berths were all closed, and the car was dark except for a small light at the rear. What was that I heard? And now she's poking out of her berth, and she's saying this out loud. A scream. Or was it just a train whistle? A berth at the far end of the car was marked Porter. From what I can tell, all these berths are marked with a number, not a name. So, whatever. I made my way towards it. I'd ask him if he had heard it, too. I pulled aside that curtain. She screams. It was ghastly. He was dead, cold and stiff. His eyes wide with horror. The bedcloth smeared with blood. I closed the curtains. She screams for help. There was no answer. No one stirred. I cried out again. Couldn't they hear me? Frantically, I tore aside the curtains of the next birth. She screams yet again. It was horrible. The occupant of that birth was dead too. I see fingers closed about my heart. A wave of nausea swept over me as I went from birth to birth, flinging the curtains back. They were dead. All dead. I was on a death train. Ralph. It was Ralph. He was mad. He must be on the train, looking for me. We see her running down the hallway with all the berth curtains open. Suddenly, I heard the shriek again, and I was thrown to the floor. This time, it had to be the shriek of the brakes. The train had come to a stop. This is my chance. I ran to the end of the car and leaped from the train. Don't we say leapt these days? Or is there like a rule for that? I've never been good with that kind of thing. I've just never said the word leaped. My chance to get away. Now we see her in the, uh, in the trees with the train kind of taking off. I st- well, okay, she's about to tell us that. As I stood behind a tree, watching the train began to move. Sorry, as I, st- as I stood behind a tree, watching, the train began to move, squeaking, straining. Slowly, it gained momentum. I need to add some little music back there. It was pulling away, and I had escaped. Now she says to herself, no one got off with me. I- I'm safe. I looked around me. A house. I saw a house on the top of the hill. And there was a light on. I made my way through the grass towards it. If they have a phone, I'll call the police. They could stop the train at the next station. Near the house, I noticed something strange. Someone had been digging. A yawning black pit. The shape of a grave, she says to herself. Now I was letting my imagination get the better of me. Nope, you weren't. That's a grave, sister. (laughs) That's pretty unmistakably a grave. I pushed... The thought out of my mind, why did I think it was a grave? Because it looks just like a grave. What was so strange about an excavation near a farmhouse? I mean, it's right in front of the porch of the farmhouse. Yet that's very strange. Even if it didn't look like a grave, that's weird. They were probably making a water trough. I knocked on the door. Anyone in there? Open the door, please. There was no answer. Then I heard the latch click and the door slowly swung open. The rusty hinges creaking. "'Hello? Anyone? Home?' I stepped inside. I looked around. The room was bare, except for... "'A coffin!' she says aloud. I spun around. The door was closed behind me, and standing in front of it was... "'Ralph! I've been waiting for you, Gloria!' Ralph looks pretty rough here. He's got his shoulders really hunched up, his neck, the head down. I'd be scared. I'd be scared, too. He caught me in a vice-like grip. I cried out. I struggled." but I could not fight his overwhelming strength. No need to scream, Gloria. No one will hear you. Let me go. Let me go. He forced me into the coffin. What are you going to do to me, Ralph? Don't you know, Gloria? Uh, Ralph looks angry. Uh, I could do nothing. He closed the lid of the coffin down upon me, and I heard the sharp blows of a hammer. He was nailing me in. Never mind. Then I felt the coffin being dragged across the floor. I heard the squeak of the rusty hinges as Ralph opened the door. Thought bubbles coming from the coffin. He's taking me outside to, to that grave. I felt the jar and heard the hollow boom of the coffin as Ralph pushed me into the grave. Then his fiendish laughter, his hysterical raving. Goodbye, Gloria. Sleep peacefully. Oh, well, at least he's still got his manners about him. He was filling in the grave. The soft earth thudded on the coffin lid. Then all was quiet. "'I guess I broke down at that point. "'Help! Somebody! Somebody, please! Please!' "'I was crazed with fear. We see her... "'Well, she explains everything. "'I was going to suffocate, buried alive by a madman, my husband, Ralph. "'I pounded on the coffin. "'I could feel the flesh of my fists tear as I pounded. "'I lost all control. "'I screamed and beat the sides of the coffin. "'Suddenly, there was a blinding light. "'I sat up with a start and looked around me. "'We see her back in her berth. "'Here she is, gentlemen!' Ralph peeking around the curtain, and one of the I don't know what the term for the person that works on one of these types of trains is, but he says, You'd better stop that ragged, lady, and come quietly. I I had been dreaming. I was still in my berth on the train, and Ralph, with pity in his eyes, was comforting me, stroking my hand. No. Keep away. Take him away take him away from me. He wants to kill me. Sure, lady, sure. You come with us, we'll take care of you. He won't hurt you. We'll see to that. The men in white took me away. Put me in a nice house with nice people. A house that has bars on all the windows so Ralph can't get in and kill me. Now I'm safe from him. We see her standing in a dark room underneath a light. We do see the barred windows. And she says aloud, And that's my story. Perhaps you'd like to come and visit me sometime again. And that concludes the issue. I liked that one a lot. I don't know, it was one of the first time I'm reading it. I really didn't know where it was going to go. Of course, when she got off the train and sees the house you're like of course he's gonna be in the house um and when he shows up and he's like i've been waiting for you and i'm like how did he know like, how did he know oh, <laughs> whatever of course then it doesn't matter when it's revealed to be a dream because that's the way you know dreams work um and that's kind of the key the theme of this issue is uh you know dreams and things like that, which is really interesting to me. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge. Um, well, really, I guess the first story, um, with, uh, what's his name? Henry. That's right. Henry, the the guy that stole the paintings and the wax museum, uh, whatever um, wax statues didn't really have much to do with dreams, but the other ones did or like illusion in some way to throw off the reader, uh, which I like that. I actually, I do. And, um, because I, like, with this girl, uh, this story of the train and stuff, I really didn't know what, like, was going to be happening, uh, and then I like that it concluded, and the whole time she's just telling you this story in her cell or room at uh, an insane asylum, so pretty cool deal there, um, but anyway, hope you all enjoyed it. Again, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me uh, on Twitter. Again, I'm just going to Say it all again on Twitter at Horror Comics Pod. You can email me at horrorcomicspodcast at gmail I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to hear suggestions or just uh, we can chat about horror or whatever. Um, if you want to send me some show mail, I'll read it on the show and maybe reply to it on the show and whatever. Uh, so feel free to send in anything you want. Uh, show mail and like I asked for you know, if you've got ghost stories or something like that that you want to send me uh, real life or if you've got a horror comic or something you want to send it my way I did get uh, somebody sent me a PDF copy of a comic that they're doing and I haven't read the whole thing but what I've read so far I enjoy so that was really cool of them to do that so feel free to send me whatever and I'll, uh, we'll chat and we'll talk about what to do with it and again if you have a story I'll read it on the air I know I've said it a million times I just really want to drill that in um, if you feel so inclined and you enjoy what you hear Um, You can leave a review on iTunes or you can just leave, you know, a star rating uh, if you don't feel like writing one. But it really helps out a lot. It helps the podcast and it gets it in front of uh, more people, which is never a bad thing. So if you feel so inclined to do so, I appreciate it. And if not, that is totally fine. I'm just glad you're here. So until next time, keep reading horror comics. And as always, stay spooky.